0: Deep in the Biden administration's executive order on cybersecurity is the idea of software bills of material, S-bombs. The order gave the Commerce Department the task of issuing guidance for software supply chain security. And one detail asked industry to provide comments to the National Telecom and Information Administration regarding S-bombs. What is it? What is an S-bomb? And what's it got to do with secure software? For some answers, we turn to the Open Source Linux Foundation. Kate Stewart is the Foundation's Vice President of Dependable Embedded Systems. Kate, good to have you on.
1: Thank you very much for inviting
0: me. And David A. Wheeler is the Foundation's Director of Open Source Supply Chain Security. Mr. Wheeler, good to have you.
2: Thank you very much. It's great to be here.
0: All right, so let's begin with the beginning. What is an S-bomb? I think a lot of buyers think software is mostly a bill of goods, but it's actually a bill of materials. Ms. Stewart?
1: (laughs) Yeah. So a software bill of materials is effectively a list of components. What's in your software? What are your ingredients? And then how do they relate to each other? There's a lot of dependencies that are sitting in the supply chain right now. And being able to articulate the dependencies from one software component to another software component helps you understand the risk level. Now, this is all part of making software and what software you're using more transparent, which has other use cases as well. So a software build materials has actually been around for a long time in certain spaces, and it's been mostly used in the licensing and procurement side. But the same transparency that's been benefiting that part of the industry is very valuable here for the vulnerability side as well. So this is where we've been coming at from a software build materials perspective, and we're trying to take and leverage some of the work that's been done in other domains into security now.
0: And given your title as Vice President of Dependable Embedded Systems, I guess this applies both to packaged software developed to do a function and run on a server somewhere, as it is in, say, military-type systems, where it is inherent in a black box on a platform somewhere.
1: Yeah. Uh, software build materials can be created for any type of software, be it open source, be it proprietary, be it fully open on a server somewhere or, you know, deeply embedded. In fact, one of the things I'm really excited about is one of the projects we do at the Lynx Foundation Zephyr is for resource-constrained devices like sensors and actuators. And what we're doing with that is in the last release, the 2.6 release, you have now the ability to, on your build, generate a software bill of materials automatically as part of the build, and it will take it down to the source file level, which is where the vulnerabilities happen. You know, the components are one thing, but how they've been built, how they've been configured, all that information is kind of key to understanding, you know, are you vulnerable or not? Can you be exploited or not? And so seeing that we can get this automated is really quite exciting. And there's a proof out there. And then the Yocto project, which is another Linux Foundation project, is doing effectively embedded distros that are a lot of things depend on. Sure. And sure. it's focusing on figuring out how we can get this all automated as part of their builds too.
0: And David, can you see into an SBOM when software is compiled, or do you have to look at it at the component stage before it's actually, you know, runtime ready, let's say?
2: I think the goal here is so that suppliers provide the SBOM information. It's possible as a receiver to determine what the ingredients are in some ways, but it can be a challenge. And it's not going to be nearly as good as having a supplier who, for example, if they see the software before it gets compiled, uh, you can get much more accurate information if I can add on a little follow-on, it's important to know what those components are because from a cybersecurity perspective, because some of those components may be older versions with known vulnerabilities. And without having visibility into that, it's very, very easy for a recipient of software to have a lot of vulnerable components without realizing that these are old, obsolete, components with known vulnerabilities. And I think although there are other reasons to have S bombs from a cybersecurity perspective, that I think is one of the key uses here.
0: We're speaking with David A. Wheeler. He's the director of open source supply chain security and with Kate Stewart, the vice president of dependable embedded systems, both with the Linux Foundation. And so who reads an S bomb and interprets it so that you know, great, is it a contracting officer? Is it someone in the program that is going to operate the software, or it sounds like you need someone fairly technical to be able to make sense of it.
2: It's probably not the contracting officer. It's someone who works for the program office or that sort of thing. Generally you would use tools to read these things. You you could have, a human certainly can read this data, but normally you would take this data and run into tools to answer questions like, for example, are there known vulnerabilities? If you didn't give me everything, what did you give me? What did you say I'm going to stop giving? And that both of those answers can give you answers about risks. There's other information, too, such as, for example, what licenses does it contain so that you can determine is that compatible with my use.
0: And there is something called the Software Package Data Exchange, SPDX, and let's go into a little bit more about that and how that yeah. can be useful to a buying agency.
1: Sure. So, Software Package Data Exchange, or SPDX, has been around now for about 11 years and um, has become effectively a de facto standard that we're actually taking to be a formal standard. It's in the last stages of becoming a standard with ISO right now. And it lets you effectively describe those components and the relationships between components and has standard ways of sharing information about the licensing and links to things like the National Vulnerability Database by the CPE numbers and so forth. It's an evolving standard, though. The 2.2 version that's out there right now satisfies the current guidance from NTIA on what a minimum SBOM consists of. So you can use what's there today, and you can use the tooling that's around it today to help you with consumption and creation of these SBOMs. In fact, one of the things that I was just working on earlier this week is Alan Friedman, Dr. Alan Friedman from NTI, was hosting our second PlugFest. So I'm one of the co-chairs of the formats and tooling work group in that effort. And we've been encouraging tool vendors and open source projects that do tooling to come together and create SBOMs on certain reference applications and then consume them and then compare the results in a collaborative fashion. And so we're trying to do this so we can harden up and figure out best practices.
0: So, would a best practice roughly consist of, let's say, the buying agency specifying to contractors that the S bomb shall be part of this acquisition and that it shall conform to the standard as defined? And there's an ISO standard, there is mm-hmm. the SPDX standard. Yeah. And then, following that, are there commercial tools that can verify? That indeed, yes. this SBOM does all the things that you've asked it to do, including conformance right. to standards, but also revealing all the possible security vulnerabilities and dependencies.
1: Well, it will basically reveal all the software right now. Uh, the vulnerabilities are uh, a matter of being able to look up to other databases. But the key is having a clear way of having the components identified and knowing whether it's been tampered with or not and what you're working with. And once you have that, then you can use the additional information to augment the knowledge base effectively
0: and miscalculate. And, and are there open source tools that you can use that can help you build this verification system? Because trust is great with suppliers, but most agencies want to verify.
1: Yeah, the SPDX project has actually created an online free verification tool. So if you wanted to put an SBOM into it that's conforming to the SPDX format, it should tell you whether it's valid or not. Now, that doesn't tell you whether the information inside it is a quality that you want. And realistically, the information that we need to use, um, some information at this point in time is better than none, which is sometimes the state we have. And the analogy that I really like is it's all diamonds and there's different grades <laughs> um, in the sense that, you know, an industrial diamond is still useful. It may not be as good as the one you want to have on your engagement ring. But we need to get to the stage where people are able to consume and produce these seamlessly behind the scenes. It doesn't have to be a special effort. And so open source tooling and open source projects are very much working in this direction. The um, Automated Compliance Tooling Group, that's an umbrella project in the Linux Foundation, has five projects under it right now that are all agreeing to work together to facilitate these workflows. And so there's projects like OSS Review Toolkit that can be used in a build infrastructure, the SPDX tools project itself, which has libraries that, you know, people's proprietary tools as well as the open source tools can use to sure. make sure they can read and write the formats and so forth. Um, there's also TURN, which takes in, uh, we'll look at a container and try to understand what the contents are. So we actually have three places where there's types of S-bombs. There is the ones that are pre-built and that's just your straight sources. There's the S-bombs that are created from a build, which have the probably the most rich information. And then there is, Oh, I've been given this blob. I want to try to figure out what I know about it. So the post built. So pre, during, and post are the three types of S-bombs you can find out there today.
0: Okay. Yeah. Take the flavor you need, I guess, for the project. And David, is your sense that the government is doing this already, or is it way behind industry in using S-bombs as a way to make sure software is good?
2: Um, I think there are nascent efforts, and I'll note that you within certain ecosystems, there's some uh, software build materials information already that are used primarily for automating installation. But the problem is that they're unique to one ecosystem. Many systems are built with many different kinds of software, possibly different programming languages, and those kinds of tools and systems don't work very well once you start scaling. So it's not that it's not happening, but it's not at the scale. It's as you get larger, I, I think it gets more difficult and in general loss. I, I think it's fair to say that larger, many, many larger projects have some idea, but don't really have a strong, clear information on all the components that are within their system. They'll typically know, for example, there are need contractors you know here's my prime they might have an idea of the subcontractors within as soon as you say well what's all the software within my larger piece of software they'll give you blank stares
0: so we're going to need an s-bomb of (laughs) s-bombs
2: um well indeed it's really just an s-bomb it's a software bill of materials yes there it's derived from the bill of materials of some of those suppliers but that's okay a car includes the screw that's in the engine and if the screw fails, the car might fail too. So when you're dealing with a whole system, you need to know about those components because you want to know about their the risks before you deploy them.
1: And to build on that, um, one of the things is you need to be able to sort of have an S bomb for a system and be able to refer to it from another S bomb. So you don't try to put it all within one big blob, effectively. So being able to sort of chain through various S bombs when relevant information is available. Is probably our way for scaling. But, you know, David brings up a good point in the sense that there's different levels of knowledge out there about this. And one of the things we're doing at the Linux Foundation is we're launching a survey this week where we're looking at, okay, what is the state of the industry? Be it government, be it commercial and so forth, uh, be it worldwide. And so trying to figure out, you know, and asking if people are interested in participating, we would certainly welcome their input as to how much they actually know or not know. Because right now we've got a lot of anecdotes coming from different angles. We want to see if we can put some numbers and some you know, metrics around it to understand where, quite frankly, we've got the gaps that we need to fill.
0: Kate Stewart is Vice President of Dependable Embedded Systems. Thanks so much for joining me. You're welcome.
1: Thank you for your interest.
0: And David Wheeler is the Director of Open Source Supply Chain Security. Thank you so much. Thank you very, very much. Both are with the Linux Foundation. We'll post this interview along with a link to more information at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Subscribe to the Federal Drive at Podcast One or wherever you get your shows.
3: Welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I'm your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. I'm thrilled today to be joined by Rick Wade, Senior Vice President of Strategic Alliances and Outreach at the U.S. Chamber of Commerce. Previously, Rick was a Senior Advisor and Deputy Chief of Staff to Secretary of Commerce Gary Locke. He worked closely with the Obama administration, and he also worked with Commerce's Economic Development Administration to foster regional economic development in distressed areas, and with the Minority Business Development Agency to create jobs through the growth of minority-owned businesses. He received a B.S. from the University of South Carolina and an M.P.A. from Harvard University. Rick, welcome, and thanks so much for joining me.
4: terribly difficult challenge. One of the other defining uh, moments, I think, in our time uh, that has dictated uh, a change in leadership, if you will, uh, was the murder of George Floyd. I think it created a whole different consciousness uh, in America, and certainly within me, uh, about the importance of being empathetic uh, in, uh, in, in the way I lead, to be inclusive, uh, to, be, uh, uh, to, to lead in a way uh, in which you're very sensitive to the impact of your decisions.
3: I'm Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Thank you for listening to today's Lessons in Leadership podcast. And until we see you next time, take good care.
4: Helping your employees learn new cloud skills helps your business become more agile, more resilient, and more secure. Not helping employees learn new cloud skills causes your business to become less agile, less resilient, less secure, less innovative, less profitable, and, well, ultimately less of a business. Don't become less of a business. Try PluralSight and get your employees everything they need to learn new cloud skills. Learn more at pluralsight.com/vision.
1: Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com/podcast1 to learn more and start your free trial.